0: Okay. Uh, good morning, Anchor Church. How are you doing? Good. Awesome. Uh, my name is Ryan. I'm just part of the family here at Anchor. And um, is my, my, my best friend here, my wife, my beautiful wife. So I'm married. Yeah, there she is in the back there. Um, married to my beautiful wife, Jeanette. And we have four very young children and two senior, senior citizen dogs in our house. So every day at our house is like a party. We're so glad to be here. Uh, Jeanette and I are just two restored restorers on mission with God. So Pastor Chris talked about, uh, we're celebrating as Anchor Church the Advent season. And if your background is non-liturgical like me, and even admittedly, I I grew up kind of shunning non-liturgical, so I never really cared to learn about Advent and and these things that has been part of church culture for a long time. But what I pray today is that as we study the season of Advent and these church traditions that have... um, been taking place for hundreds of years that it would do what it did for me what it would do for you what it did to me and that's just stir up my affections for Jesus it's more than just tradition so uh, two weeks ago because Advent is four weeks prior leading up to Christmas uh, two weeks ago Dave Kim uh, Chaplain Dave Kim taught us that hope is not some sort of wish but an expectation of the coming Messiah. And then after that Pastor Chris Hosempore taught us that the peace of God is found in the presence of God. And so today I get to talk about joy. And I think joy is the best out of all four virtues because it's the most Christmassy. And look at this, I even get a different color candle if you noticed. (laughs) This is pink as a break in the solemnity from, uh, Advent was a time of fasting and prayer, so pink was supposed to symbolize the joy as we await the Messiah. It's pretty cool, so I think it's, I think it's the best. Uh, the word Advent, is, it comes from the Latin word adventus, which means coming, and which comes from the Greek word, which is parousia, which is also the coming. Of course, the coming of the Messiah. In the Bible, there are two Advents, okay? So one Advent we call the Incarnation. That's eight pounds, six ounce baby Jesus. Who made him eight pounds? That's a big baby. But anyways, that's the first Advent, when Jesus comes as a baby, as a lamb led to the slaughter. And then so the second Advent we read all throughout the Scriptures. I guess this is called the parousia, uh, the second coming when his feet actually hit the deck i guess you could call that um 140 pound bearded tatted on the leg riding in on a white horse sword coming out of his mouth jesus it's, he's coming as as a king to establish his kingdom on earth it's going to be an epic scene as we study advent and as as we as we look at this advent display we're supposed to be celebrating both that that the messiah came and and to feel the anticipation leading up to christmas that they felt back 2000 years ago like i wonder what's going to happen the 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 prophets has been telling us about this coming messiah and he's going to be born this is i wonder what's going to happen so for us here in the in the church age we also look forward to the day when he comes back now look at this look at this display here um it's a green evergreen uh wreath symbolizing um eternity and there's four candles uh, Hope, peace, joy, and, and love. This is next week It's going to be love. Um, we've been doing this for about 500 years, back to the time of Martin Luther, the reformer. Now, while, while the, the traditions vary from time to time, I know the Roman Catholic Church like to use purple, some other churches use red for Christmas, but the meaning is always the same. So it's supposed to point us to the fact that Jesus Christ is the light of the world, and when he comes into the world, he's coming into a dark place. So twofold, when we look at, the, at, this, at this picture here, that it reminds us of who he is. He's the light. And it, rem- it reminds us of who we are. Look at, look at, you don't have to turn here, but I'm going to go to Matthew chapter 5. is Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount talking to his disciples. And he goes, you are the light of the world. A city on the hill cannot be hidden, so... Um, Nobody lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but they put it on a lampstand so it gives light to the whole house. So, let your light so shine that they might see your works and praise your Father up in heaven. It's a great song. It's a third day song. It's a wonderful... We are the light of the world. So Jesus is light coming into a dark world, and we are the light of the world, and we're supposed to let our light shine when we let our joy shine, it's supposed to cause other people to say, I wonder what's up with that? That seems amazing. i got to find out what's what's that about. I think, I'm going to make a bold statement here, I think Jesus' whole life was about joy. As we queue up this video, there's a lot of talent in here at, at Anchor Church, and so I've collaborated with one of our own to make this little art piece. Um, and I think it sums up why joy, why Jesus' mission was all about joy. We love the sound of babies, by the way, because that's the sound of life. So let the babies cry. Let the children draw <laughs> near to Jesus. That doesn't bother me at all. We love baby noise. Okay, so as they, as they cue that up, um, it's all about joy. From, from the very beginning of time, when, when Jesus came in Luke chapter 2, in the Christmas passage, what does the angel say? I bring you good, uh, good news of great joy. Are you going to are you going to play it now? All right, just I'll let him play it.
1: I think the heart of Jesus's mission was joy, restoring joy to the hearts of man. When Jesus arrives on the scene in Luke chapter two, the angel describes to the shepherds in the field that he brings good news of great joy. John 15, 11, Jesus told his disciples that his vision for them was that their joy would be full. Finally, in his last hours on earth, in John 17, 13, Jesus' final request to the Father was that the disciples would be filled with his joy. Joy is a gift from God, a heart overflowing with gladness and delight based on a perspective of the faith. Rooted in God's character. May your hearts be overflowing with the joy of the Lord. Pretty cool, right? One
0: of our own made that. That's pretty awesome. Collaborated that. He's the same person that did the art for our little Christmas cube. But here's the point. Do you see now? Have I convinced you? I put a little power package of verses together. I think it was all about joy. The whole thing was about joy. Luke chapter 2, the angel comes and he says, I I bring you the gospel of great joy. Matthew, uh, John chapter 15, when he's talking to his disciples, look at Jesus' vision for his disciples. His whole three years on earth, and it's tantamount to this. He's talking to them about abiding and love, and he says verse uh, 15, verse 11, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy might be in you, and that your joy might be... So joy fills the heart. We know what the heart is, right? When the ancient Greeks used the word cardia, they weren't talking about a physical blood pumping organ. They were talking about the deepest part of the soul. So we are made up of several parts. We're made up of body. We have mind. We have soul. And within the soul, at the deepest, at the core, is this cardia, is this heart. It's the thinking capacity of our being. We think with the heart. As a man so thinketh in his heart. So when we're full of joy, which is a gift from God, it's filling our heart and and influencing the way we walk and talk and people can see it. And then they praise God in heaven. So that's, that's joy. So 15, right? And then Jesus talked about the kingdom of God more than anything else in Scripture. Do we agree with that? I mean, it was all about the kingdom of God. His very first sermon, Luke chapter 4, he preaches, and he preaches about the kingdom of God and, and, and receiving the, blight, the blind people receiving sight and setting the captives free and breaking off their chains. And he goes, I came to preach the good news of the kingdom. They said, hey, why don't you heal these people here? He's like, I didn't come to heal everybody. I came to preach the, new, the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus spoke more about the kingdom than anything else. And I will also say that he spoke more about the kingdom than actually the church. The word church only comes out of Jesus' mouth a couple of times, and it was in the same context. So when we compare both, Jesus was way more about the kingdom than anything else. But I say that to say this. We have to be careful and guard our hearts to elevating church culture higher than kingdom culture. So here's what I mean. If we teach our children and, and men, if we, if we berate our families to get in here and to sit in here in this church culture, and our kids and our wives can't see the kingdom at work in our hearts, then we're teaching them that, that church culture, i.e. coming here on Sunday and dressing up really nice and sitting in a seat and listening to a sermon, is Christianity when it's in reality it's not. So they need to see that we're at peace at all times because the kingdom of God is at work and it's actually in us. That's what we do when we elevate the kingdom of God in everything we do, even in dinner. I'm demonstrating that the kingdom's at work in me because I I tell my kids I don't need anything from them. So I don't say, I need you to eat your vegetables because that's not true, that's idolatry. I only need Jesus. So the kingdom of God, kingdom of God, it's everywhere in Scripture. It's all over Jesus' mouth. So my question to us is, what's the kingdom of God about? Watch this. Romans chapter 14, verse 17. Paul speaking, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The source of joy is the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit fills us, we get we demonstrate the fruit of the spirit love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control it's a byproduct what's christmas is coming right what is a gift by definition it's something that you didn't earn or deserve it was just given to you if if uh, if, uh, if dan and Matt gave me a gift and i said well how much do i owe you wouldn't that be insulting no because i didn't earn it or deserve it it was given to me so lastly uh, that's, that's the kingdom of God passage. Let's go to the very end of Jesus' life in his last prayer request to the Father hours before he dies. So this is pretty important. What would you do your last hour of life? Well, Jesus prays. He's praying to the Father. Look how intimate this passage is. John chapter 17, verse 13, Jesus speaking. But now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Hearts full of joy. So have I, have I proven my point? It's all about joy. Joy to the world. You know when Sir Isaac Watts wrote that song, Joy to the World? Was he talking about the first advent or the second advent? The second Look at the lyrics. I was just getting so excited here looking at those lyrics. Yeah, he's coming to he establish his kingdom on earth. He's 140 pound bearded Jesus. That's, that's the Jesus he's talking about in there. I, actually, all the songs were so solid. Thanks, team, for, for putting that lineup together. It, it reminds us of who he is. Okay. Um, it's all about joy. Now, the Greek word for, for joy in the New Testament is the Greek word kara. And uh, kara. Comes up 59 times in the New Testament. It's this inner uh, feeling or emotion of gladness that is based off of a perspective rather than a circumstance. Does that make sense? The Hebrew word "sama" is uh, also the same thing: joy or gladness. This inner feeling, this happiness, this gladness that's based off of truth, not based off of a circumstance. So I'm like I'm a happy guy. I like to when I. Like in a hot day, I like to. When I find shaded parking, that makes me happy. Right? I'm all. I'm always chasing happiness, but I also know that happiness is fleeting, and it can be taken from me in a moment. Um, C.S. Lewis. I wanna. I wanna put a quote up there from C.S. Lewis. We know C.S. Lewis, the Lion in the Wardrobe. He wasn't a theologian per se. Trained in theology, he was trained in literature. But he had some profound things to say about joy. He says this, he wrote a book called Surprised by Joy, and he said that that joy, that his life is more um, about joy than anything else. That's why he wrote the autobiography, Surprised by Joy. But he gives us some great advice here. He says this, joy must be sharply distinguished both from happiness and pleasure, in my sense, has in one deed one characteristic. And he says the fact that anyone who has experienced joy will want it again, and I doubt that wherever, whether anyone who has tasted it would ever, if both were in his in power, exchange it for all the pleasures in the world. God is all about our joy over our happiness. I think happiness is a cheap substitute for joy, but what, what the world likes to do is they're, they're chasing things that's tantamount to happiness, and they're missing out on the greater joy. And if if God's mission is to give us joy, I I would assume that the enemy's tactic would be to steal it. And since he can't get people to outright sin overtly in, in some instances, he might get you to just put your joy in something that's lesser than Jesus. That's the definition of idolatry. When we take something that's good and we make it an ultimate thing and it doesn't deliver on its promise, and then we're robbed of true joy. Everything the, the Word of God tells us is for our joy and His glory. So I never need to pray, Lord, would you change my circumstance? But rather, Lord, I know there's a fight for joy. I want to see this situation how you see it. And then I'm freed up from saying, Lord, change this situation and change that person over there and bless me. No, the prayer of joy is bless them, change me. Lord, I want to see them how you See them, and I want to treat them how you treat them. Oh Lord, I've been seeing it from my own perspective. Now I see it through your. That's that's joy. That's the mindset of joy. So as we go on, um, let's go back to our Christmas passage, shall we? And in our Christmas passage, Luke chapter two. Let's see this. Let's see what the angel says. Uh, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So the word here, did you catch it? What, what kind of joy is the angel talking about? What kind of joy comes when Jesus comes to the earth as a baby? Great joy. You know the Greek word for that? It's mega. Mega. It's not normal joy. It's mega, mega joy. Sort of like Mega Man, you know, he's got the blaster in his arm. It's not a normal man, it's Mega Man. This is not normal joy, it's Mega Joy. So Luke, who is the author of Luke and Acts, uses this term Mega a lot. In Luke chapter 15, it's a very powerful package of verses there. Um, When Jesus leaves the 99 and goes finds the one sheep and he brings the sheep back, there's Mega Joy
1: like, yes,
0: you got that one guy to come back. When this lady's sweeping out her house, she's trying to find her lost coin. Where would I put my coin? She finds the coin. What kind of joy does she have? Mega joy. If you keep going, the passage ends with the prodigal son, and it's this wayward son that says, Father, I don't want you. I want your stuff. Give me, my, give me your stuff, and he takes off idolater, right? He takes off and he comes back almost dead skin and bones and dragging his feet and the father ran out to him kissed his neck, put a ring on his finger a robe on his back and he had mega joy the kind of joy that Jesus brings when he comes at the first advent and the second advent is mega, mega joy it ought to catch our attention because then we would say well Lord I I want your joy I want the joy of the Lord more than anything else what do I got to do to get that? Well, it's a gift. Being plugged into the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, and the byproduct of that, the fruit of the Spirit is, is joy. It's something the world wants, and they can have it if they want. It's the byproduct of being plugged into the Spirit. And saying, "I don't want that. I don't want Jesus." And Jesus provides. When I when I put that down and I pick up that that which is greater, Jesus, then I have joy. The scriptures uh, say much about joy. Turn with me to uh, Philippians chapter 4. Before, well, Philippians 4 says this, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. It's the only time I see a command in scripture where it says to do it twice in the same verse. That's how important it is. Um, I want to go back to our, our, our Christmas passage here. Um, And see if you can catch the instances of joy here in the passage. So verse 11. Chapter 2, verses 11. The angel keeps going. He says, For unto you born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you, that you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Anybody know what a manger is? What's a manger? It's a feeding trough. It's something that animals eat out of. It's a dirty thing. It's an animal trough, though. Uh, we we love animals. My family we have we have two dogs. Uh, one dog's a senior citizen. He's like 20 years old. Um, Andy Miller babysat my dogs one time. He thought the dog died because the dog's like it's just like we love we love Benny. We have another dog named Chopao. He's he's a he's a white Bichon Frise. All Bichon Frises are white. So we named him Chopao, which uh, Chopao is a Filipino food that's white on the outside and meat on the inside. So we call him Chopao. <laughs> Anyways. Um, we love our dogs, and that's, it's, it's proof that we love our dogs. With Every time we go on vacation, we put on the city, can anybody watch our dogs? And Sam and Sam have offered to watch our dogs, and we love them for that. But um, one time, nobody could watch our dogs, and we went to California for 14 days, so we put them up at the hunt club. We've been we party at the Hunt Club before. That's like the Ritz Carlton of all kennels. The place is legit. Like there's this lady in there. She's got awards all. She's like third degree black belt, Bichon Frise groomer lady. She like blindfolded and whatever. And uh, so she, so I cut Chopin's hair with, with scissors because I'm cheap and I don't want to spend money on. So just, he looks like a mangy mutt. He looks like a homeless dog. Just like you know. And I cut him sometimes. And I I brought Chopao in. And then the lady goes. What happened? <laughs> and, she, and she goes. She takes the she takes out from me. She goes, oh, and she sort of shame me. Right? She's like, it's okay you would the your mama. And she's kissing this dirty dog, right? I don't give him a bath. So, the place is staffed, right? They're always cleaning up because dogs come in there and pee. The place is immaculate. But when my kids sit on the floor, I say, like, Get up! Get off the floor! This place is filthy. I would never let my kids spend the night and sleep in that place. And I can't even imagine my wife giving birth to one of my kids in that place. You know where I'm going with this? When we look at Luke chapter 2, Jesus is born in an animal shelter. It's not some cute little manger story. Away, in a, It's a dirty kennel. But it's worse because dogs are domesticated. That's why they're the greatest animals ever. They're better than cats. And so but but they're still dirty. If you throw pigs and you throw cows and you throw goat, you throw that in the mix, it just gets nasty. But look at Mary and Joseph. Mary's probably a young teenager, and Joseph is he's just being obedient. He goes, I don't even know. She got pregnant. Oh yeah, the Lord. Is. So they're both humble, and, and this 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 whole story. There's a lot of stress and a lot of heartache, but they have joy because joy is based off a perspective that the angel gave me truth, so I'm at peace with this. And when, when people have joy, then they don't need their circumstances to change. I can imagine what, what I would have done. I probably would have said, Lord, is this a closed door? This must be a closed door. Maybe we should go plan B because ah. If you wanted the Son of God to be born, you wouldn't have him do it in a dirty place like this. He would have provided better circumstances. But I think far too often we get trapped into, well, things aren't going my way, so this is probably not God's plan. And God's saying, I'm greater than that. I'm Lord over that, and why do I got to change what I'm Lord over? I'm still Lord over it. So get in there and show the world your joy that they might see your joy and say, man, there is a God. And I got to talk to that person because they got it. So, so there's man, there's joy all over this story. They're not complaining. I think if Mary and Joseph were driving here on the 64, they wouldn't be the kind of people that say, hey, ugh, and text your driver and honking, and they would have just solid. Because joy is based off of truth that I know to be true about God, not on what I'm going through. That's joy. That's the fight for joy, the, the fight to see my circumstance as dirty as it may be through God's eyes. That the divine perspective would always push away the human perspective and I just push. And I just push. So here's, here's that story of, of the, the Christmas story. And then look at uh, verse 16 here. And they, these are the shepherds, right? These are the outcasts. These guys were marginalized. They didn't have a lot of street cred. They were known as thieves. They, it wasn't good. But they saw it, verse 17 2:17. 17. Oh, 16. Then they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a feeding trough in a manger. 17. And they saw it. They made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Like, huh? What? But Mary, look at this, Mary's awesome. Verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. There's that heart again. There's that the, the word cardia. And the deepest part of her soul, she cherished something. That's the truth that God gave her through through the through the messenger. Mary and Joseph were were all about joy. Now going back to, uh, Jesus talked a lot about joy, this whole Christmas story is about joy, and all of the the epistles are also about joy. So we look at uh, when Paul writes in uh, Philippians 4.4, and and, uh, that um, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Pop quiz, you know where he's writing that from? Where's Paul writing the book of Philippians from? I thought you were going to say Philippines. No, it's not. It's not. Philippines is not to the Philippines. Um, he's, he's writing it from prison in Rome. He's, he's incarcerated for preaching the gospel. He's incarcerated for, for casting out uh, evil spirits in people. And he's writing to a bunch of people who aren't incarcerated. Hey, uh, rejoice in the Lord always. Uh, Philippi is a church plant. You know how it got started? Well, 10 years prior to this, when he writes this, where is he at? paul and silas healed some lady of her uh there was a demonic spirit and they got beat up whipped thrown into prison and they're shackled there and they go oh well what else are we gonna do let's sing psalms hymns and spiritual songs and pray that's what they did and there's an earthquake and then their shackles fell off and the guard is like he's about to kill himself and they go wait wait stop we're all here Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. You and your household. Then the Philippian church started. This, that was how they started their church plant. Wouldn't that be cool? So that's how they started the church plant. Um, whenever I think of cool stories, I lose my train of thought. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're, uh, they're, they started that uh, church out of uh, Philippi. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was so cool. I just I totally just where was I going with that? Joy. Yeah, joy. Um, I have breakfast with uh, with Matt Fisher every Monday morning at six o'clock. That's what we you know, we do life together like that. That's where I was going. And one and, and Matt's a really good listener. Okay. He he never gives me unsolicited advice, he doesn't interrupt me, he's just a good listener, right? And so one morning uh, I was meeting and I, I had gone through some what I felt was injustice. I felt like I was being treated wrong and talked to you wrong in a certain situation. And I was just pouring my heart out. And I, I sat down with Matt and, and I go, hey, man, I, I, I'm going through some injustice, man. And so this is, this is not normal for him, but he goes, wasn't Paul going through injustice when he was thrown into prison? And then it just hit me. And I confessed my sin of trying to change my circumstance. I, I had lost joy. And I go, oh, my gosh, I'm praying the wrong prayer. My prayer should now be, Lord, give me a hymn. Instead of change my circumstance. We see joy. When we have joy, we don't pray for our circumstance to change. We don't pray for our, our, our spouse or our neighbor or our boss to change. We say, regardless of what I'm going through, I have joy. Because the joy of the Lord is my, is my strength. Uh, my, many of you know uh, my, my testimony that I've shared. I, I'm pretty much, I call myself a, a recovering uh, Pharisee. Okay, I would have joined uh, PA, Pharisees Anonymous, if, if there was a group. Knew a lot of Bible, but didn't have a lot of love in my heart, and that's a tragedy. I was on the phone with my buddy Bill yesterday. He goes, I knew you were going to get saved one day. This guy I went to Bible college with. He goes, I knew you. He said, hey, Billy, Billy, I'm going to send this message. He goes, you're either going to be a Bible thumper for the rest of your life, or you're going to get saved. And thank God you got saved. So um, my testimony is that. And I, I said things like, "You know, I'm not going to listen to anybody unless they have a degree how crazy is that and I and admittedly I said to if you're not my gender I'm probably not going to listen to you as well like I've been delivered from a lot of crazy things There's just two of those things and so God in his humor he goes you know what watch this so he sends me a guy that never went to school never went to seminary never pastored a church his name was Dan Moeller he worked on toilets for a living he was a plumber and I'll never forget, Dan flew to Hawaii when we lived in Hawaii, and we're sitting in my driveway in a rental car, and he asked me one of the most profound questions I've ever heard. He goes, why did Jesus die on the cross? Right, I, and I, I went seminary, and I'm like, that's easy. Uh, for justification, for sanctification, for glorification, for the propitiation of sins, and he basically died for me. What else do you got? And he goes, I, I don't know, right?" I don't know, because I'm going to Matthew 26 and I see that Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, there's a lot of anguish, a lot of pain, and he actually says, Is there a plan B, Lord? Is there another way? And then he ends up saying, Not my will, but your will be done. And then and then Dan takes me to John chapter 8, where Jesus says, The Father has not left me alone. I always do what pleases him. In that moment on my driveway, the Lord, the Holy Spirit opened my eyes. Maybe that was the day I got saved. I, I, don't, I just know that I never recovered from that, and I never saw anything ever the same again. To think that Jesus went to the cross, not for me, per se, but to, in obedience to the Father, blew my mind. When my kids come home from school, I don't ask them if they had a good day, or did you learn anything? I, uh, where's, Ky, Kylie's here. Kylie, what did Daddy ask you when you come home from school? She's like, did you please the Father? That's right. Thanks, Kylie. That's what I ask him. Hey, how did you please the Father today? Our whole life is about pleasing the Father because we want to follow Jesus, and Jesus says, I don't do anything without my Father's approval. Watch this. Uh, go to Hebrews chapter 12, and in Hebrews chapter 12, it answers the question why would Jesus endure the cross? The cross is a miserable, ugly experience. Has anybody ever here been crucified before? I'm serious. I'm asking because in the Philippines, every April, April, people actually get crucified. But they cheat because they come down and they bandage their wounds and they do it again next year. They keep doing this over and over again to experience the cross. It's crazy. I think it's crazy. I've never been crucified, but it looks miserable. So why would Jesus endure the cross? I've already said it wasn't for you and me. Really, it was in obedience to the Father. And, and, and if, if, I, if I wanted to meet with, with my buddy, uh, Matt Ford here, and he wanted to meet at 12, but he didn't... If I wanted to meet at 12, that he didn't show up an hour later, I'm no longer angry at that, because I met him to please the Father, not to get a pat on the back. So if I show up and someone's late, and I go, Father, were you pleased with, this, with me showing up here? Awesome. I'm free. I'm totally free. So Jesus, when he talks about joy... Why do you go to the cross? Look at, look at uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. He says here, that the, the author of Hebrews says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, the author and perfecter of our faith. It's all Jesus, if you didn't know. It's all Jesus, not us. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of God. Why would Jesus endure the cross? For the joy set before him. What was the joy set before him? It was, I'm going to do what pleases the Father. I want to give you a, a little, I'm going to put up a picture here of a pie chart because one morning I woke up and I had this image in my imprinted in my mind. You ever get that when you wake up and you just had this image, you had this vision or this dream at night? So that was the vision I got and I saw this pie chart in my, in my mind and there was one sliver that was 1% and the rest was 99%. And I felt as if if God was telling me, hey, Ryan, so this little sliver right here and this big sliver is something that's true about you. This big sliver here is how much you complain about and you argue with and you fight with your wife. And this little slice here is how much you pray with her and you bless her and you're a conduit of my grace, mercy, and peace towards her. And I, I went, oh, my gosh, this thing, it, it, it haunted me. And, and God lifted my soul, and he goes, but you know what? I'm going to increase this little slice more and more and more, and I'm going to love her through you and the way you talk and your tone of voice and the way you touch her. And God started doing it every day. So some of you who know me, I like to wake up super early in o' dark 30. And I like to actually, I want to get to the, to the beach, even if it's for just five minutes. I stick my hands in the sand and I, I start my day in prayer. And I say, Lord, I've been buried with Christ. And I take my hands out of the sand. And I say, I've been resurrected. You know, I have this ritual every, every morning. And one morning I had started the car. I went back. I was warming up. And Holy Spirit gut checked me. And he goes, hey, don't leave yet. Um, I want you to get back in the house. And I'm increasing that slice. Now I want you to pray with your wife. I want you to get down on the floor. I want you to hold your hands and pray. And I literally, I was pacing back and forth. And I go, well, but, the, but the, car is, the car is already warming up, you know? And the Holy Spirit said, get back in there. And I go, um, ah, man, but I'm going to be late here. And then i I got to make the HOV. And that's spiritual warfare. That's the fight for joy, the fight to see my situation, how God sees it. So what I do, I, I go into this confession mode. And I go, oh, Lord, I... I Lord, I, I have been, I was selfish right now. Thank you for your forgiveness. That's 1 John 1.9. And I start going into this prayer. Lord, I, I'm not my own. I've been crucified with Christ. This is Galatians 2.20. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In Colossians 3, I've been buried with Christ in the baptism of his death. In Romans 6.4, I've been raised to the newness of life. I don't get a vote because dead people don't get a vote. Lord, I submit to you. And I want to go back in there. So Lord, I'm obedient to you because I want joy. So I go back in there and I get on my knees and I pray with my wife. And we always have another another practice that whatever kid uh, wakes up first, how many how many kids are in the house? There's four. So whatever one wakes up first, we, we lay hands on them and we pray for them. And there was so much more joy in that. I and mean, God's been increasing that. I've even had friends that send me text messages because God's doing the same thing in their life. I got a text message the other day. Bro, I prayed with my wife. And I was like, yes! Awesome! He's doing it in Anchor Church where men are leading their wives. And I'm saying, if 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 that's your desire to do that, jump in with us. We're going to glue at the hip with you and, and do this struggle together, the fight for joy together, the fight to see all of life through the divine perspective instead of human perspective. We're supposed to do this. That's the gospel. I'll tell you what, if we don't get in the habit of preaching the gospel to ourselves of entering in that, in that fight for joy, of getting surrounded in community that reminds me and gets my eyes off of my circumstance and up to my Savior, we will never experience full joy. As a community, Anchor Church's vision, you look up this vision statement on our website, it says we, want, we exist to create a community where people find hope in Jesus. So we're not afraid of struggle. We ain't afraid of a, we ain't, We're not looking for a fight, but we're not afraid of one. So we fight together. We're not surprised at at the things we confess to one another. That's that's all right. Come on, let's let's join the fight. It's a fight for your joy. Because joy is based off of a perspective on the truth of who God is. Just the fact that God's character alone should cause us to have great joy. Um, You know, I read the end of this thing. It's pretty good. The end of this book says we win. We're on the winning team. You ever been so far ahead in a game that uh, you just start celebrating even before the game's over? If you're up by like 50 points, right, and there's 30 seconds left, it doesn't matter if my teammates are getting punched in the face. We're just yeah, we're winning. That's, that's us. That's Christianity. So there's no reason. We, we should never have a list of reasons of why we're acting less than Jesus because of the things we're going through. That's not joy. But when we look to the Savior, we can say, Oh my gosh, I forgot. I forgot why I have joy. I'm going to turn to a, a last passage here, uh, just to just to reiterate the fact that our circumstances don't affect our joy, and it doesn't need to. I'm going to go to Habakkuk chapter three, and in Habakkuk chapter three, um, it, it says this: Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit beyond the vines, or They produce uh, of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. And the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deers. He makes me tread on high places. I like the message version of that one. You know the message Bible? It says I do cartwheels for, for God. I love that. Because guess what? Joy isn't based off of what's going on around us. This guy's got no job. He's got no food. There's nothing coming in. But his joy is in the Lord. So in this Advent season, as we look to Jesus, we say yes and amen. All the promises of God are yes and amen. So there is nothing that we can go through today where we can't say thank you, God, for who you are and who I am in you. Thank you that my identity is in you. I have, a, I have a friend, she's got a tattoo on here. That says, it says, child of God, my only true identity. I have another friend, he got out, he's got this belly rocker, it says, son of God. No, that's a little, I, I'm not that, that brave. Maybe if I did get one, I'd would, would get one right here. It said, it's not about me. That's the greatest freedom ever, when I'm free from myself. But you know the test that I'm free from me is that I'm free from you. The true test that I'm free from me is that I'm free from you, and I don't need anything from you. I don't need you to approve me, although it, it does feel nice when you compliment me, but I don't need it. I don't need to have control over anybody. I'm free to love you. I'm free to serve you. I'm free to forgive you without wanting anything in return, because that's who Jesus is in me. He's the God of joy. Let me pray for us, and then, and then we'll close out the service, and then we'll come to the Lord's table and focus more, continue the celebration on joy. Father, thank you. Thank you for who you are and who we are in you. That you are the light of the world coming into a dark place and we are the light of the world. Let our light so shine so that other people might see our good works. They would see our joy and
1: praise the Father who is in heaven. Amen.